you, buddy. They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. With the bye-bye-bye-bye. bye-bye-bye-bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come back. But a bye 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 but a bye 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 bye. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Good, 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 good. What's um? Well, I've it's a strange strange time to be partying. You look so very happy. I am actually. So I woke up quite hungover today, and and sometimes when I wake up hungover, I'm really unproductive. And other times I'm so unbelievably productive. And what, today was one of those days. I don't know why. I just decided today I was going to sing. So my poor neighbours, I've spent about six hours singing my favourite songs all through the day, having the best <laughs> time. Baby comebacks come on just again and again <laughs> yeah, and again. Exactly. The royalties are flooding their way over back. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, well, welcome to Bad Boy Running. Hello, hello. Hello. If you've How never you doing, listened, JD? I'm all right, man. I'm not right. If you've never listened to Bad Boy Running before, I would suggest everything that's going to come after this is probably not going to make much sense. So, I'd listen to this episode and then possibly go back and listen to the A to Z of Bad Boy Running. And all in all, that should give you about ten hours worth of content to get through, <laughs> which is which is about a two week training plan for most people. So this is probably a good buy then. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> you could get over, this is a way of getting of meeting us and actually getting over the relationship in ten hours. It's like a it's like we we accelerate a bad relationship. It is better yeah. to get out, isn't it? It is. It's what we do best, indeed. indeed. But um, it's quite weird because it's it's three in the afternoon on a Friday. When we're recording. On a, on a Friday. Friday, yeah. We should we should be like miserable. It's time to drink. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. Okay. Let's drink. What have you got? Well, the, the trouble is so. Because um, we'll we'll build up to this, but you've been away in the states, haven't you? I so... have been away in the states. I've been I've been away for for ten days at the most perfect time of all over half term. So so Libby <laughs> is absolutely delighted, and it's all for work. And despite what people, well, some of it was for work, most of it was for work. Um, well, then none of the posts I've seen are at all work related. Um, it was it was almost like a cultural exchange. I'd like to think. I think we were. <laughs> I was taking Bad Boy Running to the US, and I was bringing something back from the US as well. What did you bring back? Mainly um, racism, jet, jet, jet lag, and bad memories. <laughs> jet lag and bad memories. Okay, perfect. But um, yeah, we've you've been away the last couple of um, intros, outros that I've done with Ali, and during that time. We're, we're in theory meant to be <laughs> drinking a beer from uh, from the lovely people at Beer 52, but I got really drunk and drunk them all in one night. <laughs> They're that good. They're that <laughs> they good. Are. They need to send really bad beers that you don't want to drink. So the problem is, what, do, they, do they have a, um, an, an Alki option? Um, it's like a turbo option, so you can get them sent weekly. Or they should have, like in, um, in hotels, they know when you've fiddled with the, the, the bar... And they should have one beer that's always your last beer. And as soon as that goes empty, it triggers the next delivery. It, no, no, it has the equivalent of like, I always want like two beers in my fridge. And so it auto detects with this Internet of things. This should yeah. be entirely possible, shouldn't it? They should have some kind of um, uh, it, some kind of detector within the fridge that detects when their um, delivery, when their beers have got to a certain level. 
it automatically yeah. triggers a, a notification to say it's on its way. And all you need to do is press something to stop it. And that's that, it. And you'll never do. So I've, I've just been out to my local can bar in Brixton called Ghost Whale. What's a can bar? Mate, this is, of course, you're, you're not even Brighton now, you're Hove. This is what all the, all the cool can bar. Is that what, is that what an cool office called now? Oh, it's a can bar. Yeah, yeah, well, it, you go in, and it's quite weird unless you're used to it, but it is like an offie, except you kind of hang hipsters. around. Yeah, yeah, it's full of hipsters. You need a beard. You kind of hang around. Yeah, you just, you just help yourself to stuff and then pay for it and drink it. That sounds, and, um, like, that, that sounds like a normal offie. Although, I mean... <laughs> I, in I, some I, dodgy I areas I used to live in Manchester, that's a normal offie. I put it to you to go into your local offie and and just drink in there for three hours and <laughs> just see how the staff react to you. Do you know it's weirder the um, the more middle class uh, an establishment is, the more likely you are to be able to drink in it. Like if you go to you wouldn't be able to go into a normal offie, crack open a bottle of wine and drink in there. But if you went to say um, the Sampler in Islington. Uh, you can go. In, you can go in there and stand around and, and drink wine and, and chat to the staff as well. So, can you or did did you? <laughs> no, you can. You can. You, okay. Yeah. I, rules, laws, things like that. They're only. I had a, a ten o'clock meeting. I was early. <laughs> ten o'clock. I mean, they the owners weren't there. I had to break in, but. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's it's basically they they do have a beer garden about it's it's pretty tiny, but um they sell these things called growlers, which to me I just think it's it's a probably growler. my favourite word. I've I've growler. heard that I've heard that used in conjunction. Who uses that? What 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 country's terminology uses growler as a as <laughs> drinking from the growler. <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's, it's probably my favourite word now, actually. I can't think of any better. Do they, but yeah, do, they, they make, do they make you do the growl when you want it? They do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, um, they, you, oh, David, how are you? What would, what would you like to drink today? <laughs> it's like the Alan Partridge episode with uh, Tony Lemesba, who gets hypnotised. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I've gone and got some beer from there. They do like a litre, which is great. So um, okay, I do so what's have it, beer. What's, what's it called? What does it... Well, the, um, it's, it's just a generic bottle, the growler, but um, I went for... So the, growl, the growler is a measure? Yeah, yeah. Or is it a, a style bit... of bottle? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm out of my depth here. Um, it's a, I know it's a litre. Oh, okay. So okay. I don't I know if that's you growl. Okay. generic growlers. or I mean, it seems big for a growler, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that's a whole other story. A whole other story. But, um, yeah, if, uh, if you want to drink along, you can't really do it. You, know, <laughs> but you can get a free box with Beer52. Go to beer52.com slash running, and you get literally a free box of beer. Two pounds is only five packaging. It's great. We're getting our next one in next week, so we can drink along with this. Yeah, I got my notification. But what's the name of the beer you've got? I can't. Something water. Drop pressure. No, not pressure drop. It's, it's cloud water. Cloud water. What? Yeah, I think. Is it called cloud water? No, what's the one you've got there? What's in the growler? In the growler? No, it, well, that's it's cloud water, but on, on, the, on the, the label is Ghost Well, because that's the name of the, the venue. The oh, name the of name the, of the, the vet. What? Why would yeah. you have the name? 
Do they bottle um, it? This place doesn't sound very legit. <laughs> no, they bottle it in front of you. You just you go in. You can so you take this back. Oh, that's where I've had a growler before. Yes, because they do. Because you took your growler back, did you? Yes. Yes, that's <laughs> it. it. You take. I'm taking growlers back. Yes, that was it. Set. They have a growler at um, at local um, food establishments where you can like. Uh, yeah, like the food store and stuff, and they've got like barrels of, uh, of ale and stuff, and you and you take a growler along and you fill it up with that. That's what it is, isn't it? There you go. There well, we that's, go. Um, we've made, we've that's got, what it is. We could have just looked that up on on Google and done that in two seconds, but we've, we've taken eight minutes of podcast time. <laughs> <weren't it? I> hope... <laughs> but um, wait, wait, why why you've been away? A lot has been happening over here. I tell you, like what? <laughs> Politically uh, or running wise. Well, um, politically... Have we, got a, deal? Have we got a deal? <laughs> Have we got a deal? <laughs> I've, stopped, I've stopped listening, to be honest. I, I think, so is Europe. <laughs> so is, so yeah. is the EU negotiating team. But I've, I, I was quite literate on it for a while, and now nothing's changed. And, like, and so what's the point in finding out that nothing's changed for a whole year and then just tell me when I need to vote? And then, yeah, then I'll come on out. But um, no, the Obstacle World Champs has happened. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, you don't sound that excited by it. What, the Obstacle World Champs? Um, yeah, the best of the best. The best of the best of the best. I get very confused as to it. Is this different from the Spartan thing? Yeah, so Spartan World Champs is just Spartan races. So that's that's a brand. It's like having a, well, it could be. It'd, be. it'd be like the World Champs of triathlons would be different to the Ironman world champs because Ironman's a brand, a type of race. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so, okay. yeah. And, and, so, and so the OCR, and these are the ones that are in Essex? Yeah. Yes, it's, <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? Well, it's moved because it, it's been North America until now, so it's the first time it's gone outside of... Was it, uh, was it marketed as OCR Essex or was it marketed as OCR London? OC, OCR slags. Um, it was, <laughs> no, it was... Um, I think just World OCR champs. I don't think they actually. Um... Did they tell people London? Is it? Is this? A, this is a Stansted situation. Stansted Luton situation, isn't it? They might have done that. Actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the nearest place is probably Brentwood, because uh, it's a nuclear nuclear course. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, I mean, I I didn't go because it was too far. I run. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Didn't you run back from there once on your? On your stag do, Pete stag do, yeah, Pete that's Stagdew, right. That was it. Yeah, so it's about twenty-two miles, I think. Um, well, that is to Highbury, so maybe so, thirty miles from here. So, so you you've been able to run back from there, yeah? It was too far to go. Well, the races all start at eight a.m. Oh, and I so yes, okay. Well, it's difficult getting transport at that time in the morning. Well, I just couldn't be bothered to get up <laughs> so early. Like, if I was racing, fair enough. Didn't but you to film get up last at... time though, weren't you doing yeah. filming last time? Yeah, yeah, but that was out in, in Canada, so that was quite exciting. And... <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, you know. You if the World Cup comes over here, if the Olympics came to the UK, it would be incredible. But for some reason, I don't know. It just takes the the, sh- the shine off it. It's like if the Oscars came to Bradford or to Hull, you wouldn't be like, oh wow, the Oscars are in Hull. You'd be like, oh, the Oscars in Hull, and it almost means that therefore. The Oscars can't be that great. <laughs> <laughs> but still, still, OCR World Champs um, yeah. in, in Essex. Really, really, really. Have you seen anything about it? Or? Um, I haven't. I've heard a couple of stories about 
uh, I don't know. Did you? I don't know if you told me. I don't know who told me about Americans in rental cars. I've not heard this about Americans in rental cars leaving them abandoned because they been they're going down like these weird narrow country lanes and stuff. Who told me? About, who told me that story? I don't know. So they just left the cars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> left the car and went home. home. <laughs> just went home. I don't what? know. Okay, got an Uber and went home. So. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know who told me that story. I don't know if it's true or not, or validate it. I have no idea. But so I, I, I recall. Someone I, I wouldn't say it's a fully formed story. Some Americans in a rental car abandoned it. They thought, "Fuck this, we're going home." It's like the story. I don't even know if, even um, that's. Re- I don't even know that's related to the OCL World Championships either. <laughs> it's a. It's not a great. It's not a great story. Are you sure you're not thinking about those yellow bicycles? What yellow bicycles? The ones that you can just leave anywhere. <laughs> no. Yellow. I thought they were blue. Oh, I think there's more than one brand. Uh, oh, wait a minute, because the Boris bikes were blue. Then they became the Santander uh-huh. bikes, didn't they? The red bikes. Yeah, no, these, these are different. These are bicycles. Are that... they a rival? A rival to... Yeah, ah. you can you just unlock it on your app, leave it wherever you want. But apparently the company are potentially going to be withdrawing from Newcastle. <laughs> and I can't remember the other city because too, Manchester because too many of them end up broken, stolen or in the canal. <laughs> so they're losing money on it. Whereas at least in London, you get some in weird places you like to see one up a tree. But people often put them in their back garden so they can use them as their own bicycle so that <laughs> people come round but they can't use it. And so it means they can get exclusive use, essentially. But um, anyway, yeah, the world champs, the world champs. Well, go on then. What, what's the, what are the headlines? Who won? I mean, John Album. John Album won everything again, um, which obviously is not unexpected. Uh, but still, I mean, he's won four world championships in four weekends. No, five world championships in five we- in four weekends, which is pretty good going. Oh, yeah. And I mean, three of them, four of them, like two two of the world champs, Spartan. Tough Mudder, so they're all obstacle racing. Although Spartan's very different, and then Sky Race as well. Right. Okay. Um, so not a bad, not a bad game. Not a bad haul. Not a bad haul. But it's really they've they've got it on Channel Four. The the World Champs now. They've got an hour long show that they put up. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's really really good actually. Um, I mean, it's never going to be quite to the level of Kabaddi. Um, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. But um, they've even got this guy, the guy from the Tour de France is one of the presenters. Who I, think I really don't know good. who that is because I clearly would never have watched that. Uh, okay, fair enough. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because a race like OCR um, is so hard to film. and yeah, much- I imagine, yeah, I imagine it must be. It's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because I suppose, especially with the, with, well, I suppose the ability to even follow the leaders um, yeah, is is a difficult thing to do, which is why why you know, someone like you had to do it before. Yeah, and, and Mustacle, amazing footage, but they did pretty good for Channel Four. Actually, they they got around, but um, they, they had the short course to begin with, and it was really interesting. So, what's the you short course see, again? What distance is that? Short course is three k, and I'm going to say twelve major obstacles, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they're pretty hard obstacles. So. Um, so yeah, they they showed the men's first, and John is sat in eighth. They then come up to these ruts, like the muddy mounds, and within about twenty meters, 
John takes a 10 second lead on everyone just from running over these like mounds better. <laughs> it's really what? weird to watch. Wait, wait a minute. So he was eighth. Yeah, he was just chilling at the start. He was just chilling. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then, basically, in the short course, it they they follow it for a, for a while, and then John takes a lead. That's it. You then they then like yeah, and John wins it. So <laughs> not much is shown there, and you, there's not really that much you can you can get from the short course because um, you don't really see that the people who finish are kind of expected. You've got Ryan who is probably the, the second best obstacle racer in the world or has been for the last few years he came in second um as you'd expect um random russian guy came in third we can talk about that later mm. um, <laughs> but yeah the uh it was interesting because quite a few of the big u.s names were missing quite oh, a few okay. of the runners you'd expect to see why i i don't know because I'm, I'm not in the loop anymore but people like hunter people like um Oh, all the Sparta guys. I'm not sure if it's because the, they had to travel to the to Europe and they couldn't be bothered. I'm not sure if it's you know whether because now in the fifth year of the World Champs, it's getting less appealing for people who know they're not going to win. Um, but yeah, the uh, but third place Russian in the short course, Russian in the long course as well. Um, women's race was unbelievable. Right. They, there were six of them in it at all times, all the way through the race. It keeps on changing. So good. Um, there's a new runner called Rebecca Hammond who we're getting on the podcast in about three, four weeks to talk about how the hell she's like, appeared from nowhere to be one of the best obstacle races in the world. Um, she's leading out. Nicole uh, Miracle, last year's winner, she stored, you, you see how fast she is, but also on, on one obstacle, it all changes. And this is the problem with the world champs is that an obstacle racing as well. There's all these new obstacles that don't necessarily make sense when you see them. Like you've actually got to figure out what to do. So you can walk the course, yeah. but you're not allowed on any obstacles in advance. And so um, it had a little bit of uh, impact on the short course. But in the long course, it made a massive difference. And so um, if you imagine you're John. So you know, John's the favorite. John, John is basically the best at obstacle racing by a country mile. But you're doing a course of 100 obstacles, and say of those obstacles, 30 of them you've never done before. Yeah. So you're running up flat out. You then get there. A marshal who is probably you know really enthusiastic wants to make sure that they're doing their job. They've been instructed. That everyone has to do this. They've then got to describe, like you've got to pull this chain, but this can't touch this. But then that's got to do that. And so John was saying that it was a nightmare because every new obstacle he'd get to and he'd be looking at it like, what the, what the fuck is this? He'd have to try and figure out, listen to them. So he's wasting 10 seconds on every obstacle. Guy in second comes up, sees what John's doing, does that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're, you pay the price. You, you pay the price for being ahead because you're pioneering through that yeah, obstacle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and actually, it, it, I mean, in some ways it's good because it does reward people who, you know, are in, in, intuitive, who are you know, in, who've got ingenuity in how they approach things. But then, you know, this is it, that's a completely different race to who's the fastest at doing these obstacles, because you might get someone who 
the first time in an obstacle can beat anyone else because they're just so good at adapting, but they might not necessarily be the best at any obstacles once people have figured out, oh, I've got to do this. But um, yeah, John John had a, a pretty good lead, but nothing compared to what you'd expect. And even even that, he there were like Ryan had a bit of a shocker. He came in seventh, and I've never seen him come anything but top three in any race I've watched. Right. But the it was really interesting because the the Americans just aren't used to to mud, and the world champs isn't used to mud. And from what um, I, I spoke to James Apperton, to Ross, quite a few people, they were saying because it started at eight in the morning, there was a lot of dew on everything, and there were some um, really top. Like John didn't really have any problems on the obstacles apart from this hooky one, um, and that was just because he happened to choose the rock like some bad hooks but other people were slipping off stuff that they shouldn't do because it was so wet but then when you add in mud as well um and it, it just completely changes and i think that especially in north america they're used to doing obstacle races where you've got 12 big structures and then trail running yeah. so you beast out the runs you get to these structures you go bam bam bang whereas this is just just constant churn, like a hundred obstacles is a huge amount. If you watch the video, there's some you're looking at them like, what the hell is that? How do you, and they just look really awkward, especially first time. Um, so Ryan had a shocker. Uh, John came off this, I can't remember what it's called, but this, this weird obstacle twice. And then finally third attempt switched the hooks to ones that had better holds. But it was only in, it was, and so he came first and then this this russian came from nowhere in second and i i've i don't know anything about the russians but i don't trust any russian athletes to be clean because um they might well be clean but it's their entire culture like it has been a systematic it's difficult isn't it because you yeah. can't you just can't try when when it's been covered up so much mm. by bodies including wada and and everything if they they've almost yeah. like conceded that that's anything to and it's not saying that these the, because these people are russian they naturally are the problem is that it's always going to be in doubt whenever a russian wins and the truth whenever anyone gets beaten by a russian at anything now yeah there's always going to be that doubt especially these guys haven't raced in the world champs before in the states because they can't get um they can't get visas oh really okay okay so it's the first time we're seeing them they may have well one or two of them may have done the odd european race but they're pretty much training by themselves so, and that's have they have they been heard of in Europe though? I think I I mean I I'm a little bit out of the scene now. I know I think in the short course uh, Sergey, who came third, has been heard of before. But then there's an but the they were quite clever in that they chose their races. So typically everyone does all the races, which is crazy because you wouldn't get Mo Farah doing the 5K the day before he did the marathon. Um, you know they they'd set it up so there's a week in between or at least enough time to recover so yeah these guys have come they 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 did the one race they they've come from nowhere and you know this guy did amazingly hopefully he's just a great athlete but i mean how can you tell and if someone's racing in their own country for the whole time they're not being tested in that they, whole time and do they do doping for i'm sure we've i've asked this before they do do yeah. doping for um yeah this they do but the i mean there are some there are some athletes and i won't say their names who have been banned from other sports who are now doing obstacle racing because if you're banned from a sport it, it's like being banned from a nightclub you just go to a different nightclub 
and uh, it's the same in sports. So they've been done for doping, um, like EPO, one of them, in uh, I think it's skiing, cross country skiing, and uh, and they've and another guy was uh, BMXer, really top BMXer. He's been done for doping. They've just moved over to ACR, and so. Yeah, they, they do test at the World Champs and you know, John's probably been tested four or five times in the last month. But if you're someone who is in your own country and you only come out once a year to race, then you can dope all year yeah. and just stop two weeks before and you're clean. Yeah, it's yeah, so, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, but the, the women's race, again, was insane. Like It just kept on changing. But it was but the footage was really good of Mudstickle. Um, and combining that with the Channel 4 footage, it's really interesting to see where the places were won and lost. And actually, um, there were too many obstacles, I think, where it's luck of the draw how well you do. I think, for one, it should be obvious what you have to do. If it's not, that's just a, a stupid obstacle and is a disadvantage to the first person. But also... There are different lanes where if you came into the right lane, for example, the um, like for example the zip wire. If you watch, uh, Lindsay Webster picked up about five places, like a huge amount of distance, because for one she'd picked her legs up, which was just good on her. But also the amount that the ropes hang down differs slightly, um, and so if you've got one that dips early, you're going into the water five meters out and you've got to swim five meters which that could be 10 15 seconds um whereas if you're in the right lane which you can't really guess you go straight through and similarly they had the water jump where you'd be flipped into the water and you then have to swim to a certain side if you've not seen the course before you don't know which side to go but also they had a point where if i was in the left hand lane i had to swim to the right and everyone would have to wait for me to get out of the way before they could come down their jump. And so it was, it was creating all these weird, um, all these weird positions where people were suddenly ahead or behind just on dumb luck, which I, I just don't think it should be. I think something like the OCR champ should be won by the best person and it shouldn't be left down to, um, you know, all these random elements that can't be predicted. So, um, it was amazing to watch but um yeah I, I just don't think they've got it right as a as a race it's, isn't that something that's an issue only because i say that because you mentioned it before that there's no set way of suggesting what obstacles should be in a particular course that is completely yeah. down to them and that and, and that and that's what you think the issue is yeah absolutely it's it, and and they say that people can't use the course beforehand. I think they do that to make sure that you know, to make it even for people who don't live in that country. But I think there should be a chance for maybe even having a walk around where they take the athletes to all the new obstacles and they say, these are the rules. This is how it's done. And they demonstrate how it's done. Um, but there are some crazy things like in a team event where um, or for one, the team event. Now you can just mix any country. So you had the Mudstickle uh, machines against Team Canada, against a North American mixed team, including Ryan, who's the best Canadian, who wasn't in the Canadian team. <laughs> and so it's just so strange. Like, what's the point in having a relay if it's not a country? Because then it's just who chooses the mates. And who really cares if this random group of three people beat this group of three people? Um, really, really odd. But 
Yeah, there's so many other stories. So Ross Brackley, um, great athlete. He uh, he lost his band. So you know the way the band system works. Yes, yeah. So you've got to complete each obstacle. If you don't complete an obstacle, you can retry as many times as you want. But if you don't, at the end of that, if you fail it, you get your band cut. And that means you you come behind everyone else who's finished with the band. Um, so it's called losing your band. But Ross literally lost his band. When he was oh. taking his gloves off, he thinks he took his band off at the same time. So he would have come 12th in the world. But he then comes behind every single person that well, finishes. Te- technically, it's not cut. It's not cut. Yeah. It's not cut. So it's still out on the course, but yeah. I mean, if he goes out now and finds it, <laughs> but there there were quite a few um, cheats. Apparently, people who Ooh. were taking their bands off and then would get to the end and put their band back on. And I'm not going to say which Eastern European and uh, Central American countries these are from, but yeah, there were two countries in particular that got quite a reputation for cheating so they could cross the finish of their band oh and, and what and um, what was the penalty for them they i think they got away with it oh no actually i i i, I think some of them got away with it some of them got caught um but it, it was another one where um it's like ross for example ross mcdonald did it he's got massive holes in his hands now because there's so many obstacles but it's getting quite potentially quite dangerous because people are attempting these these uh grips with bloodied hands oh my god and they do have blood over them um and yet james apperton went down for a a crawl sliced his head open on the barbed wire um which you know pretty pretty not not gnarly but there is an i think there could be an issue now where you know there is blood all over the course and like how can you stop that and the only way to stop it is to stop doing so many hard yeah um rigs but you know can you do do you say a rule that you everyone has to wear gloves or if you if you have a cut you have to you have to quit cuz you genuinely could catch um stds and it attracts vampires and it attracts vampires. Which, yeah. And no one, no one likes an Essex vampire. That's the worst type of vampire. Oh, yeah. I mean, just go to Basildon. Basildon. You want to see one of those? The Lost but Geezer. Yeah. The Lost Geezers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was another one of those um, that I think 10% of the women finished and only 40% of the female elite finished with their oh, bands. Oh, my goodness. Really? And that's just not what you want in a world champs. You want, you want most people to finish. You want, you want people who are genuine obstacle racers to be able to finish it. Like anyone who's classified as elite should be able to finish the course unless there are crazy circumstances. Not everyone should finish the course because you'll get jokers like myself turning up who have no right being there. Um, but still, to have that few people on the course... Um, yeah, such a shame, such a shame. Um, but the the weather was amazing. I think the feedback has been pretty good. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether next year it stays in the UK or not. Um, and then there's rumours abound about whether... Well, it is staying in the UK, isn't it? I'm, I'm not sure if it's confirmed yet. Is it not? Is it, was that not? I thought I'm sure it was on Budstacle today. Oh, maybe it was. I'm, I haven't been reading the... Oh, uh, let, the me, let, let, let me check. I can't... I'm sure I saw something about it. But there's also rumours, and these are 
uh, I don't know how how good this information is, but there are rumours that there will be a separate world champs and that these world champs might not be allowed to call themselves the world champs anymore. What? Yeah. So because um, Adrian set this up and he he just said, this is the world champs. So it, there, there isn't a, a governing body. There's oh, not an association yeah. that has said, we're all agreeing to these. And so apparently uh, quite a lot of the other organizations, your Tough Mudders, your Spartans um, and other obstacle race organizations have come together and said, we think we should have a not-for-profit world champs because the world champs cost 180 pounds or something to enter and the tops cost, you know, 70, 80 pounds. I mean, it's very expensive, um, partly because it is a good course, but still, I think there is this feeling amongst certain parts of, of, of the community that this should all be not for profit. It needs proper independence or at least agreement on um, on things rather than one person's decision. And so apparently they may be setting up an association that then can claim the World Obstacle Racing Champs and they'll then have to change the name of this one to like the Adventure World Champ, also the, the Adventure Champ or something like that. And they're now thinking potentially of having qualifiers for this one. So it'd be really interesting to see if... Um, Will it, will it survive? Will that survive not being called the world champs? There's that. Surely that's I, everything. I, yeah, I I don't know if it will because I th- I think it might for one year because there is that goodwill because I I think most people really like Adrian and and Rachel Ann who are the organisers and you know I, I think people respect what they've done and are thankful for it. But as you say, people want to say I've gone to the world champs. Yeah, and uh, and and. The elites, will, the elites will go where the money is, the money will go where the sponsors are, and the sponsors will go um, partly on where the elites, but also where the masses are. And so I can't imagine the, the, the majority of the people who qualify non-elite wanting, like bothering to travel across the world to go to a non-world championships, because people really want the ability to say, I have gone to the world championships here is my world championship top. I am this many, I'm this number ranked in the world. Yeah. And that they're not going to be able to do that. So it'll be really interesting to see whether this does actually happen. And if it does, how it then plays out, because it could well be that the association will just be so political that they don't get anything done. Right. But yeah, I mean, that was quite a whirlwind of a roundup, but um, I thought it's all quite interesting stuff. Hopefully, even if you're not into your obstacle racing, because it's, yeah, um, but it just, it annoys me to a certain extent that John is not known far wider than he is, because he's just an insane, insane athlete, you know, to be, to win all of those in five, you know, five world championships in four weekends is unbelievable. Yeah, it is incredible, isn't it? Mm. The, the problem is, if you then try going into, what would be the equivalent to go into? The problem is, you wouldn't be able to go into into ultras and stuff because there's just no there's no money in it. You can't. How do you make a living out of it if you're in the UK? You'd have to yeah. you'd have to like live abroad and, and do it. And so I suppose it's all down to what what your choices are. Yeah, and I mean, he he is certainly making a living at the moment because if you just add up all that prize money, it's it's definitely a wage, but it's not a huge wage. Um, and I think, yeah, in the long term, 
it's not as if he's going to be living off his income at the age of 40 from his OCR career. So, uh, yeah, be, I, I know he's interested potentially in going for the Olympics for the marathon, but I, I but be interesting to see, well, for one, how long he continue being at the top, because on current form, if, if, if you take away the fact that he's race tired and the fact that all these new obstacles appear that he has to listen to, he's, he's so far ahead of anyone else. I mean, in the short course to win by 30 seconds, when he's probably the only guy who's raced as much as he had previously to win my 30 seconds in when it, in a, it's it's just amazing it's a huge amount so um yeah I, it, you can't see anyone catching him in the next year or two yeah um, maybe longer that's really interesting actually the because the, the, these were the exact concerns that you had when we talked about this last mm. in relation to the difficulty of uh, trying to it was in the, it was in these ones where everyone had the option of being able to pick a a different type of rig a, a different type of obstacle or is that something different no that's that's toughest where you get, oh is that toughest okay right. lane, slow lane that, that I, works really well right, edit that bit out nick i've got that completely wrong <laughs> um but the interesting so the interesting actually and this, this this is really funny because this ties into who we're going to be speaking to this whole mm. thing about um the percentage of people that finish and i think you're you're so right. Sometimes on really, really, and I'm only going to be speaking in terms of like ultra marathons here, but sometimes on a ultra marathon that's known as incredibly difficult and incredibly challenging, you would look at a 30, 20 to 30% finish rate and say that mm. is a really tough race, but it is possible. When you're, and that's not necessarily the best in the world competing. That is runners mm. from a, a broad spectrum of, not, maybe not even professional. Not even any professional in there. If you are talking about what is essentially the world championships where you have professional races in there, um, as well as, you know, the, like the best damage and stuff, and they're only getting, the, what was it, 10%? 10% I think 10% overall, 40% of the elite women. So 40%, less than half of the elite women finish the course. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so the, these are probably, you know, they are the majority of them will be the national champions or the top three in their country. So there might be one or two people. But that's only an official finish in the sense that it, with the band being cut, everyone everyone finishes the course, don't they? Has the satisfaction yeah. of finishing the course. It's just yeah. that because their band's cut, it's not an official finish. Yeah, absolutely. It, but you know, that that's that's like saying. You, you know, you pass out in the London Marathon, you're put in an ambulance, you still get to finish the course. <laughs> but you do it in an ambulance. I mean, it, it, if you don't finish with your band... You oh, know, okay. It, it means that much, does it? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, well, surely that puts off a lot of people. Why wouldn't that put off loads of people? If, if, if... I think it does. And um, there, there will be certainly... I mean, if you look at the the state of, of the UK women in in obstacle racing there are some you know reasonable uk obstacle races now um but the number of racers who have dropped out of obstacle racing like the four i'd say the four top women in a row dropped out because of expectation and because it was so technically difficult compared to what you used to you, if you think of um you didn't know kate keeble or lucy martlew or even miller or freya they were all at one point the best obstacle racer in the uk and it was just such a big step up to be 
at the level of the obstacles for the world champs that the pressure was so much and there, there were no races in the UK hard enough really to practice or get good at unless you get to toughest in Scandinavia and they've all dropped out. They, they, none of them have bothered with obstacle racing because why when you can just, you can go and win some road races or you can do ultras that yeah. are amazing and um, you're going to, everything's in your control. And that's the thing. I, I can start any running race and I know my chances of finishing in a time that I want is based purely on my training and um, everything that I have done in the preparation up to it. You come to something like the world champs, who knows, complete potluck. Certainly training helps, but you'll have some fantastic races there. I mean, the fact that Ross uh, Brackley, one of the best obstacle racers in the world, didn't finish his band because he lost his band when he took his gloves off. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty stupid of Ross. I'm sure That's he'd brilliant. That. That's brilliant. They go, oh, right, it's anything because, you know, the technicality of, uh, of, of the obstacles. And uh, no, 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 that, that, that wasn't the reason. Oh, right, okay, was it just that did the mud make it impossible or you get hypothermia or something like that? Uh, no, 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 it wasn't that. Oh, right, was it? Well, what, what, do an injury, some kind of injury, you, you, you know, but maybe like fractured something or... No, 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 not, not that either. It was, um, uh, I, I, I lost it. I just lost it. It fell off, fell off my wrist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be like Mo Farah not winning the London Marathon because his chip timer had fallen off. Although on his first, on his first London Marathon, it, it wouldn't surprise you how, how many errors yeah, were made on it. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and to be, and to big out Ross Brackley, if you watch the, um, if you watch the footage of him in the team relay going under barbed wire, it is the fastest. It is insanely good. He it almost looks like he trips, falls, but then he falls just at the right point to get under the barbed wire. Recovers. Without, yeah, yeah and, without then just, and then just plows through. It's incredible. Absolutely amazing. Um, should we push on from extreme to yeah. even more extreme? Well, no, because what we, we'll be talking about dropout. We were talking about dropout rates there. And um, in this interview um, with, our, with our guest, listen out for when we're talking about dropout rates, because that's really, really interesting in a comparison. Yeah. So and, do, and, go on. Well, well, I do. This is I almost want to apologize for this interview, actually. <laughs> Why? No, I, I, I came away from it feeling really frustrated because um basically candice was suggested in the facebook group as someone to get on and you know her pedigree what she's done what she's created is amazing and the reception we had like between my skype and her phone was amazing like so clear but for some reason there was a delay that was just slightly too long and it's the first time i've realized if you've got a delay of a few seconds it kills an interview um style because you, you can no longer actually have a chat. You've just got to ask questions. And then if one of you talks on the other is, you've got to pause. And then you're like, what, 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 what? And so, I mean, Candice was amazing as a guest, but I'm just frustrated for, you know, for me that I, I should have been better. And we could have made, you know, like, so apologies if this is very much a question and answer rather than the normal conversational, a bit of bit cheeky, um, style that we have um and you know it's no reflection on candice at all because you know she was just a great great interviewee but i'd love to get her back on at some other point when we can get a proper conversation going and maybe it's just me being paranoid about it i but... think you are being paranoid i think you i think it was absolutely fine i think it was absolutely fine because in this in this interview i'm not here for the interview because uh i was dosed up on pain meds and 
I mean that that would have that would have added an extra dimension to it. That would have been would have great. Been, I, spe- I mean it. It's bad enough when when I'm making jokes and there's a de- delay and uh, no one finds them funny then. Uh, but this this would have made it worse. So it's probably probably a good thing that I wasn't on the on the interview. But um, we've probably done a, a a brief intro. I've probably done a brief intro at the start. But if I haven't, I mean, Candice basically organises four, three, four, two hundred mile races in the states. She's run some unbelievable distances herself, and uh, yeah, such an interesting guest. So, welcome to the podcast, Candice Burt. Way. Dude, as we often ask you to recommend people to get on the podcast, and uh, Pete Faulkner had said to get Candice Burt on for two reasons, which we always like. One is she's a, a mega badass ultra runner herself. She's set fastest no, known times for places like the Ranier, which I've already pronounced wrong. Uh, Ranier, I think it's a mountain range or it's a volcano. I'm going to pretend I know it, but I'm a bit ignorant about uh, West, West Coast America. Uh, but she also hosts some of the most ridiculous races. She's the first person to do a, a race that's over 200 miles and it's a single loop um, around Lake Tahoe. And she's backed that up with quite a few other races. So she's now got something called the Oh, I've got to remember some head Golden Trilogy, where you have to run 200, three 200 mile races in about three months, which to me just seems ridiculous. But um, welcome to the show, Candice. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. I think this might be my first international podcast. Oh, fantastic! Well, I mean, you've you've been you've been saving the best for this one, thankfully. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, is That's this the, is this the end of your season now? Then, have you finished all your races? Finished all your racing? And no, not at all. Um, I have a race directing wise. I have a really big one coming up um, on. October 12th. So I'm going to head out for that this weekend. It's the Moab 240, 240 miles around uh, Moab, Utah. So we go through two mountain ranges and um, it's the longest 200 miler that I organize. I realized at some point we couldn't just call it a 200 miler. We had to call it 240 because it's 238. Um, And we round up because uh, year to year with a race that long, it can sort of vary in distance a little bit depending on permitting. So I have that and then I have uh, a marathon and half marathon on that I organize and um for racing I'll probably do some other stuff the, I mean, the rest of the year but nothing big that almost makes it sound like for the first few years you just called it the Moab 200 <laughs> well I, we called it the Moab 200 for for like a year um before the first time I organized it people kept bugging me about like you can't call it 200 it's not 200 so were people doing <laughs> sprint finishes at 199 yeah they still have almost 40 miles to go so <laughs> they, they take their time <laughs> they, they I, I think by that point they, they don't really sprint to the last quarter mile probably yeah <laughs> that yeah well um which would you like to go into first because often you know the organizing races stems from the love of racing um would you, do you want to talk about the the races or your racing really as a, a first topic uh we could talk about uh, my races that i organize would be fine yeah yeah so uh you called it 
golden something. It's a triple crown. Triple crown of <laughs> two hundreds. Apologies, I've got to my head. I had too much information in there. I knew it was a three yeah. something. <laughs> no, it's all good. Good research. <laughs> um, so it's a triple crown of two hundreds, and uh, that's three two hundred ish mile races in less than three months. And so what was? And then the... I have a bunch of other stuff. What was the motivation behind the first one? Why did you think it was a good idea to do a a 200-mile race? Well, I wasn't sure it was a good idea. Um, I, In fact, I thought it could fail miserably, but I just thought, you know, Tahoe is this beautiful place, like Tahoe in the United States. It's it's a place that uh, presidents go to in vacation and dirtbags go to and live for years <laughs> on end. So it's sort of got, it has both sides of, of the coin. You've got amazing outdoor activities, and you also have, like, the super high-end um, feel uh, of the Lake Tahoe, and it goes um, Lake Tahoe is in two states, it's in California and it's in Nevada. So the trail that we use um, goes through two states, three national forests, and it just ended up being the route that I um, designed. It ended up being roughly 200 miles. So I thought, oh, 200 miler. You know, I I sort of like to fit things into a box if I can. So um, I just I had this route and I thought, well, I'll put it out there. I'll see if anybody's interested. And I was sort of shocked, honestly, at the reception I got. People were like, oh, okay, I'll run 200 miles. And we had um, almost 200 people try to sign up that first year. It was crazy. Um, Yeah. So it was like immediately it was sort of a hit. Um, Because you had, what, 30? I just wasn't even sure. Is it 30% finish rate? No, it's much higher. Um, it usually varies from 70 to 85 percent. Oh, I thought it was 60, 60 people finished. So there must be another race I read. Uh, apologies. Uh, yeah, it could. This year it was a little lower because uh, I, I'm not sure why actually, but we we had the most people run it this year, so that could be part of the reason. But also, um, we ran the race in the opposite direction for the fifth year. So I've been doing this for five years, and um, I think it was a harder direction. So I think it was in the 60% this year. I mean, that's still incredibly high for a race that long and hard. Yeah, it's very high. And I would explain it by saying that people um, have really committed to a race this distance. So I think they train better. They don't just go into it. They, they usually don't start it if they're not ready, but some people will. And I think the cutoff times are really generous. Mm. So a lot of people are freaking tough. Like if you give them, you know, for Tahoe, it's a hundred hours. If you give them a hundred hours, they will be out there for a hundred hours. I don't know how they do it, but they will, they will use that time. And that's one thing about like the back of the pack that just impresses me so much Mm. is it's like, the amount of time that they're willing to sort of be out there. I'm always in a hurry when I'm racing, but, um, yeah, I think, I think the cutoff times are the main reason why people are able to have, or why we're able to have such a big finish rate. And did you find, cause even stepping from say a, a marathon to a 50 miler, there's quite a change in the personality and the type of person and the same for a 50 miler to a hundred miler. Have you, have you got almost a subclass of ultra runners that seem to have different priorities, goals, styles to a hundred milers? Yes, definitely. Um, 
200 mile runners are quite a bit different. You see some overlap, but um, we'll have people who've maybe hiked the whole PCT. They've given up racing. They're more into the adventure aspect. And, um, and we also, ultras in general tend to be older population of, of runners, probably, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm. But 200s is even more so. So 40s, 50s, 60s. Um, and I'm not sure why that is except that maybe it's still not as well known with younger people. Um, but yeah, we definitely have an even older population. So I'll have people say, Oh, I'm too old for that. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. And do, do <laughs> we you think had you're, a 69 year old finish. <laughs> do you think you're bringing in are they existing ultra runners then? Or do you think you're bringing in people from other avenues that this just seems to appeal more than a faster race? I think we're bringing in people from um, lots of different backgrounds. So, like, we have a lot of hunters now because Cameron Haynes, a professional bow hunter in the U.S., has run the races and really spread the word about um, this for, like, a whole different, like, I've never been a hunter, and now all these hunters know about, and apparently hunting's huge, a lot bigger than ultra running. <laughs> I was like, no, really? <laughs> but apparently it is. And so... Um, we see that and we see like the Joe Rogan effect um, where uh, Joe Rogan's talked about the two, my two hundreds on his podcast quite a bit. And mm. that reaches and spreads out um, to a lot of different types of people. So I think anybody who wants to do something really extreme is interested, even if they're not really a big runner. And do hunters um, go out with could... no nutrition? They've just got a knife and maybe a crossbow and they just think <laughs> I'm going to self support the whole way around. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but, um, you know, one of these days it's bound to happen. So some guy like, you know, I'm just going to hunt my food uh, on the run or I mean, there are a lot of berries and there are elk out there. So I guess anything's possible with the cutoff <laughs> we have. You could catch an elk. Uh, you could bow hunt an elk, uh, you know, carry it back to the fish. <laughs> and so when you said about a new record, when you said about coming up with the actual race then because i mean how how does a 100 miler differ from a two i mean obviously sleep is suddenly a factor for everyone as opposed to practically no one in a 100 miler but is there a huge difference in the the number of um state aid stations you have the type of food you have and and the expectation people have coming into them there's a lot of differences. Um, I think a lot of people will sort of compare a 200, 200 miler. Um, I'll just sort of list some of the differences, but, uh, yes, yeah, sleep, sleep is probably the biggest thing, um, for everybody. Although our front runners tend to barely sleep at all, um, or just a little bit. And, and so interestingly enough, the front of the pack, it is slightly more similar to a hundred miler. Um, the other big difference is with a hundred miler, you have maybe a third of the time where let's say a 30 hours for a hundred miler and we're talking maybe 80 to hundred hours for a 200. Mm. So anything that is an issue, um, in a hundred is just going to get worse and worse and worse. Mm. You really have to be able to eat real food. You have to be able to hydrate and take care of yourself. You have to deal with foot problems. Um, so I know that when I got into hundreds, we used to say, Oh, don't, don't let anything get it. Don't get, 
anything get ahead of yourself in a hundred, like a blister, anything, because mm. it could just get crazy. But with a 200, like that's really true in a 200. And now I feel like with a hundred miler, it's like, ah, blister, whatever, let it go. <laughs> but, but 200 milers, it's really important to pay attention to your nutrition, to start out slow. Um, and for some people to get sleep, although, you know, we're finding, we're learning more and more about the competitive side of 200s and what people can really do. Like at Tahoe this year um, with Courtney DeWalter, um, like, you know, and our top guy, like finishing in 49 hours, that's, that's 25 hour or 24 hour um, plus hundred milers. That's, that's like racing 200 milers back to back. And the elevation is crazy, isn't it? Um, it, it depends on where you're from. Uh, oh, well, so the altitude that you're running at, and sorry, I don't know the euro <laughs> <laughs> for this, but they're at six, six to 10,000 feet almost yeah. that they're actually running at that, uh, which is a little bit harder. You get respiratory issues more mm. quickly. Um, but then the overall elevation gain is for Tahoe's about 40,000 feet. Um, so that's a pretty, that's a mountain race. I mean, yeah. no doubt about it. That's, that's like two mountain hundreds back to back. I mean, I, um, I know I, for Bigfoot. Yeah. I'd yeah, have to come ahead. in a week before and probably actually 10 days before just to get used to the elevation. Well, you know, they say that, uh, with the elevation you want to, if you can't be there for two weeks or more, it's better to just come right before. Cause you hit your most intense physical, um, problems usually around a week at altitude um although seven, six to seven thousand feet isn't you're probably not gonna most people don't have major symptoms at that level that's pretty pretty low sort of low <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh well apologies apologies for my uh lack of talent in that area and so with um is everyone self-supported completely then and, and is there what, what type of kit list do you ensure that people have when they go out so um there are eight stations the whole way. However, there is um, some distance between some of them. So they do vary either between seven to 20 miles in length between aid. So you have to be able to carry uh, at least a 20 mile segment. Um, but I think they average 13 miles. So it's not too bad, but definitely a lot more supported than at least most of the hundreds in the U.S. Um, we'll have aid stations every five to nine miles, mm. five to 10 miles. Um, the runners are sort of required to decide what they need for themselves, but we give a recommended list. So we don't have any, there's no required gear whatsoever with the 200s, which might sound a little odd, but um, people seem to manage okay without it. Um, again, we have the recommended list. Most people bring that. So it's like a jacket, long sleeve shirt, a headlamp at all times, extra batteries, just the kind of things you might need if if you're out overnight and you didn't really expect it or just for like the, um, cold nights in the mountains, it can, mm. the temperatures can drop and, um, extra calories, like let's say 500 extra calories, uh, a water filter. Um, although like for my 200 miler in Moab, there's not very many water sources. So you're going to be carrying a heavier pack. You're, you might need to take like 60, 70, hundred ounces of water, um, between aid in that race. So do you think Whereas, because it's so much substantially harder coming into it that no one's really going to wing it, essentially? Yeah, I 
I think people, um, yeah, I, I don't think anybody's going to wing it. Um, the, the approach that I take as, as a race organizer is to give a lot of information to the runners about the race. And we do a lot of pre-race emails. We have a runner's manual that's like 30 pages. Um, and then to just let them um, police themselves, you know, to figure out for themselves what they want to carry rather than, than sort of be like requiring stuff. Um, but we have, we have considered requiring stuff because occasionally you do end up with people who don't prepare, prepare properly. If they get lost and they don't have a jacket, um, that's pretty bad. So I do warn people a lot more than I would maybe otherwise. Because <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you actually lay a trail for? Is is there already a set route that you've you've tapped into the the natural trail that's there, or have you had to actually direct the whole way around? Um, you mean like how do we mark it? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we do mark the whole route um, quite well, like you would for um, a marathon even. There's a lot of arrows. There's a lot of um, course ribbons out there. And um, we have a team go out about a week and a half, two weeks before the event, and they just start doing segments of the course. And they just they put up um, – everything's reflective. So there's ribbons on clothespins, and those clip to um, trees and bushes. And you'll see those as confidence kind of markers. So you're like, okay, I am, there's no turns, but I am on course. Good. And then we have um, arrows at intersections where you might turn sharply on the course. If it's just a straightaway, then you'll just see ribbons. So we keep it, it's pretty easy to follow. Even if you're, you know, we get people from, let's say Japan who don't speak the language, but they could still follow, you know, an arrow, no problem or the ribbons. So we do try to mark like for the international folks as well and um and then we this year we started requiring everybody carry the gpx track on it's easy to get an app and put that on your phone mm. so we're doing a little education this year but i find it's just so important for people to be able to have that because we can't guarantee the whole 200 miles will stay marked after yeah. we mark it we have we there's always some vandalism out there on, or weather will affect the markers on course so how how would you recommend for anyone listening then? How do you actually prepare for a 200 mile race? Well, um, I would say uh, a lot of mental toughness kind of training. Um, you don't necessarily need to train super hard for a really long time. If you're trained for a hundred miler, there's just a few things you can tweak to be prepared for a 200. It's a different thing if you're actually trying to like you know, pull Courtney DeWalter and like mm. run a 49 hour 200, that's going to be a different kind of training. But for most of the population who want to finish and maybe want to set a PR or just, you know, finish well and not kill themselves. Um, I would say a lot of, um, sort of multi-day fast packing kinds of things or, um, back to back long runs are really good. hundred miles doing some hundred mile races in training, um, is really good. And even though it is a hundred miler, it's going to prepare you and your gear and you can try out your gear and make sure everything works. That's so important because you don't want to get out on course for a 200 and be like, I hate this pack. You know, it's mm. bugging me. Um, make sure everything works. So just basically hundred mile training and then, um, add in monthly, bi-monthly, um, back to back longer runs of 20, 30 miles. So you might do a weekend of, 250 Ks or three days of 20 milers. Um, 
those kind of things really help and they toughen you up mentally. Finishing every race that you start um, is a good mental training. So make like a good plan to do a variety of 50 mile and 100 mile races mm. through, let's say, the spring, uh, which for us would be like January through uh, June. And yeah. then you might do 100, uh, your 200 in August, but do like a variety of races and just finish them no matter what, unless you're going to like permanently injure yourself, mm. but just be tough about it. Um, cause I think sometimes we can get into a mode of like, Oh, it's too hard. You know, I'm, I'm going to quit. Uh, and in 200, you're going to have a million reasons to quit one reason to continue. And you have to keep choosing that one reason, not the other million. Um, and the one reason being, cause you started the damn thing, like finish it. Yeah. I, mean, I think that <laughs> Let's they, go. the hundreds in training will probably be harder because especially if you're doing more than one of them, the motivation to carry on when you can tell yourself, well, I can do this another time. Um, and hundreds pretty damn hard anyway. So to force yourself to carry on going just for training is probably mentally tougher than the 200 might actually be. That's true. Yeah. Because once you get into the 200, it's like you have all these people cheering you on, um, and this extra motivation you've trained all year to like do it. Um, and hopefully your schedule's clear. So you're like, well, I'm not doing anything else for these four days. So I might as well finish this thing. <laughs> And to yeah, other people on the course then cheering along quite, quite long a way around. Yeah. I mean, mostly at the eight stations, mm. um, you'll sit in the finish line. Um, but it, it depends. Like we, we definitely have seen the Tahoe 200 really been growing and, um, as people get excited about it and they follow the runners on. So we have live trackers, mm. basically every runner wears a spot device. And so, People will be following from all over the world, but in the local areas too, that the race is, and they'll show up, you know, for the front runners and then the back of the pack. And you might come through in, in the Tower 200, you go through a few towns mm. and, you know, you might encounter um, people cheering and just bigger crowds, especially in that race. The other two, Moab and um, Bigfoot 200, a little more remote. So um, they don't get the same crowds. <laughs> and do you find people, because we've um for example camille heron who um set the 100 mile record she did it purely off gels and energy drinks um, do you get anyone who's using any food like that for the 200s and, and what what do the fast guys tend to rely on yeah that's a good question i can't say for certain but in my experience i haven't really heard of anybody just doing gels i think it would be bad for your stomach mm. Um, for that long, it just seems like that'd be a really bad idea. Um, but people do use gels. They just tend to supplement it with like, you know, a double burger, bacon, cheese, <laughs> like massive. It's amazing what people eat in these races. Like I've seen pictures, like they'll be eating like chili. I'm like, how do you eat chili <laughs> running anyway? And, um, and are they, all, are they getting so, this delivered to them en route or is the aid stations you can call for there or how, how does it work for coordinating? It's it, it's the aid stations. We, we have burgers, we have wraps we have lots of different kinds of hot food to order so the aid stations especially the sleep stations there's usually six of those um so like every 50 miles or so um those will have like a lot more variety and more food and just be a bigger uh setup but yeah the the aid stations is important to food's really important to us so mm. we make sure to have like a big variety and we have vegan stuff too um 
And but you asked about the front runners. I think I heard Kyle Curtin, um, who was the first place Tahoe 200 runner this year, and Courtney. They were both talking about what they ate, and it sounded like a lot more candy. They were still eating like more real food than you might in an ultra, mm. but it did sound like a little more race kind of food than um, the rest of the the race. Because I think that the faster you're going and the harder you push, the usually the less um, complicated foods you can digest. Mm. So those two seem to be doing a lot more like liquid, like candy. Um, not sure what they did for gels, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's what I heard anyway. And with, with the sleeping then, would you, cause I've, I mean, I've, I've never done a hundred yet. I've, my furthest is 56. So I've always just oh nice kind of run as fast as I can and never had to think about anything else to do with, uh, you know, changing shoes or uh, long-term kit strategy. Do people, when they come into sleep, do they set their alarms? Do they just sleep until they need? Do people have specific strategies at each area? Yeah, I think a lot of people try to plan out ahead what they're going to do. Um, and then it all goes to shit. You know, by the time they start the race, it's like they they may or may not be tired when they think they're going to be. Um, I recommend people go into it sort of open-minded about where they might want to sleep, but have some like extra sleep gear in their drop bags. We have a lot of drop bag locations and we have sleeping pads, tents and um, blankets. But again, like the blankets are sort of, uh, they're not going to be as warm as you might want. Um, Mm. So we recommend people put like jackets and stuff. Um, But I I think going into it sort of open-minded and deciding um, and then just taking what you need. So it might just be like you try an hour nap and see how that goes and then get up and get going again. Sometimes people really aren't feeling well and they'll do like four hours, five hours and feel like a totally new person. Um, But it is one of those really individual things. That's what I've learned. Mm. I don't think I can really tell anybody what to do exactly. You sort of have to learn and you'll notice there's a huge learning curve. And so people might, their first 200, they might go into it and finish like 90, hundred hours, which is close to cut off. Mm. And then, um, they go back and they finish in 70. So it's like you sort of, you can, it's a different race than a hundred in so many ways. So yeah. you might've done a hundred, you might have even done 150, but when it comes to 200, um, there's probably going to be a learning curve in there, and there's going to be room for improvement for most people, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there must be, because there, there just comes a point where your, your body can't go on without sleep, or um, your stomach yeah, must be for most so people. different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so then, when you'd, when you'd organize the first one, what made you think, I need to make this harder for individuals that want to be crazy and do three of them? Uh, I, <laughs> I guess I just love to torture people, <laughs> runners specifically. <laughs> you know, I I actually went into creating more 200s um, because it was something I enjoyed organizing, those kinds of events, like a little bit crazier, a little bit different, and the challenge of coming up with those long routes. I wanted to have one in my home state, so I created the Bigfoot 200 second, and then the Moab 200 um, or 240 came up because uh, a friend of mine who was a big 200 mile runner, he loved them. And, um, he had come up with a route in Moab and he's, 
he said, you should look at this. You should do a route in Utah. It's the most beautiful state. I said, no, 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 I have two is enough. Like, stop bugging me about it. And then he died in an avalanche skiing. And I just was like, oh, man, you're going to make me create that 200, aren't you? <laughs> so I I looked at his route and sort of in memory of him and in honor of him, I decided to um, make a route that was uh, very similar to what he had proposed. So, so it's sort of like, it just sort of happened. And now it's this wonderful way that people can, um, masochistically like challenge themselves or the course of, it's really a little, it's like two and a half months where you do three 200s. And this year we have 24 people are still in the running for finishing it with one more race to go. And we had like 35, 36 before, wow. before Bigfoot. Yeah. Which is a lot doing all three. It's crazy. And it's crazy people. Is, is the Moab one then very hot being in Nevada? Uh, Utah. Um, I'm oh, sorry, Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Close enough <laughs> <laughs> to you. It's like, it's yeah, it's all the same. <laughs> They're both sort of dry areas. Um, it is really hard. Uh, in su- in certain ways, but hard in different ways than the yeah. other 200s. Oh, so is it, is so it really hot? Hard to- oh, hot. Uh, yeah. Because it's in October, that's yeah. coming up toward their, um, that's like their fall, starting their fall, it can vary drastically. So one of the challenges is that it can be as low as um, 7 Fahrenheit up in the mountains, which is basically like... Free. It's 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 so cold that uh, the husky dogs that were on site did not want to sleep outside, which is saying something. <laughs> <laughs> These dogs sleep in the snow, <laughs> and it was too cold for them. Um, but then it can be in the 80s or 90s Fahrenheit in the day, which is considered a very hot race. So yeah. so it's sort of like getting used to those temperatures and not carrying like all this stuff during the day. I don't know. It's a, yeah. It's a, that's a unique challenge to go from such extremes. Well, I think especially. Sorry for the noises. Oh, don't worry. I think especially if okay. um, you've you've really got to think through which nutrition to have at each time because some of it might freeze potentially, and then other that's food. True. Yeah, other food at ninety degrees is disgusting. So you've really got to be knowing at what point you're going to hit different areas of the race. Yeah, that's true. Um, and. And this is sort of, those are the temperatures that we had um, last year, but this year it could be 50s to 90s, um, because I think the seven degrees was pretty unusual. But you're right, it's it really gives you a big variety. And as an organizer, I have to think, like, in the hot weather, people eat a lot of these kinds of foods, but then in the cold, they eat this. So you have to be able to sort of switch depending on what the temperatures are like during the day for those aid stations as well. And do the people then who are attempting all three, can you can you tell on their first race that they're attempting for you? Have they got a very different approach with the knowledge that they've got to race again in a month or so? I think they do tend to be a little more conservative starting out. Um, but it's sort of just like survival <laughs> for them. I think maybe next year we'll give them like a different color bib or something just for fun because it is sort of you know, you get to know them over the course of the three 200s, yeah. but um, I'm, it's still like one of those things I think it would be fun for them to stand out a little. It's it's still, but I mean, 30 people, that's that's um, 
almost a third of our field is doing all three. Wow. It's crazy. Are the guys at the front, are they going into it with the intention of like racing the last one or even racing the last two, do you think? I think, I think some of them are. Yeah. We, we definitely have seen some good competition with like for the podium kind of spots with the, um, you're talking about with the triple crown. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. So, and our, the record for, we add up all the times of your three two hundreds and the record last year, Mike McKnight said a pretty good, I don't remember offhand, but he was getting podium spots overall <laughs> in the race. And so, yeah, and he was doing the triple. Um, and so he has a pretty solid record. It'll be interesting to see if anybody beats it this year. I know he's watching. <laughs> well, that's so the we'll thing. See. It's not something you necessarily – if someone takes your record, the idea of having to come back again is such a huge obstacle to doing it. Fair <laughs> yeah. play if he does. And totally, so, yeah. And and have you now got you've got these three with uh, within quite a short space of time, which actually means you've got you know six months of the year to play with for possibly four or five others. Um, for for me, yeah. For um, are you thinking? So are you, are you thinking yeah. of creating more and doing just back to back to back to back to back? <laughs> Oh, that's that's sort of the question everybody wants to know. I do have I do have some other races that that I could throw out there that are designed and ready, um, but I'm sort of uh, maxed out right now mm. in my organizational capacity in these three months, and I have a team of people. We actually organize eleven different events, so I have events from February all the way through November. Um, so it's really just December and January that are off, and we do permits during that time. Um, so they're like anywhere from a 10 K half marathon, 50 mile, like a bunch of different races, but people, they know me for the two hundreds, but I actually have quite <laughs> a few events, like quite a few out there. Um, and have you so seen I, anyone I, turn up for I, the 10 yeah. K who's ended up graduating through <laughs> all the way to the triple crown? Yes. Well, not the triple crown yet, but, um, I had a guy, uh, who, started out by doing a lot of volunteering and he would run a race here and there, like half marathon, that kind of thing. And then he just randomly said, Hey, I want to do a 200. I was like, that's funny. (laughs) Really? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I'm going to do a 200. And he ended up finishing. Um, his feet didn't look so good, but, um, (laughs) he had the longest he had ever raced was a marathon before he did the 200 and his strategy. Yeah, it was, uh, basically hiking and hard alcohol was his strategy. <laughs> <laughs> so he was just taking shots all the way. Wow. I mean, was he drunk uh, when he was coming into aid stations? Well, uh, I think, I think that he, I think so. Um, a few. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from what I heard anyway, <laughs> from what well, I heard, imagine. but I guess it's a pain. It takes away some of the pain, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but he'd start to get a hangover halfway round potentially. So you get you're adding on the pain of the potentially. Head. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like a good, a good plan, does it? <laughs> Although to be fair, well, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I guess if you kept up with, you know, the amount you were taking in, then you might not get a hangover. But um, as far as I could tell. Uh, he was able to walk properly, so he passed the walk test. Well, there, there's a chance that he'd wake up in the morning and he was so pissed he won't remember what he did, 
and they'll just be like, what, what the hell has happened to my feet? Why can't I move? Just so confused. It would be such a sad thing, too, because it's such an accomplishment, right? You can't remember any of it. <laughs> Although, there <laughs> might be some trauma in there. <laughs> and um, so, in terms of the uh, your racing then, uh, had you done a 200-miler before you created one? No, not at all. Um, in fact, the longest race I had organized was like a 50K, and I had not run, I'd done 100 milers, I'd raced 100 milers, but not 200s. So I sort of looked at, I looked at, you know, Tour de Giants, I looked at their website, sort of how they organized their thing, and then modified it for yeah. what I thought I could do as an organizer. But um, no, I wasn't really sure what I was getting into, you know, I just figured like, if you could do 100, you can do 200, <laughs> go from there. Yeah, I mean, it, it does, and actually, I think there will be 300s at some point, and, you know, it will get, and probably there are, probably there are already. Um, that's thing, in the UK, we're fairly sheltered from the really, really long races. Um, they tend oh, to, okay. Yeah, they tend to be cut up into multi-days rather than just straight, uh, I think partly because it's so small over here, actually, you know, 300 miles takes you a long way across country. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how did you get into racing then? Uh, racing ultras as, as in general. A, as a, yeah, as a, a runner yourself, yeah. I, I've i been um, racing racing since I was in high school. Uh, I did cross-country and track back then, and I loved it. And I didn't realize there was, like, this huge world – well, I guess it's not huge – this world of ultras and trail running. Or I, could, I would have been so excited back in high school. I thought, like – the world was ending when I graduated. And um, so I ran like some 5Ks and um, finally trained for, you know, the big thing for everybody, which is a marathon. Um, And sort of was like, yeah, it was okay. I had some friends doing a 25K and there was this 50K as well. I was like, oh, I did a marathon. I can do a 50K in the mountains. Well, let me tell you, that was hard. Uh, I couldn't walk the next day. I had to, I had to take like pain pills because I couldn't my chest hurt so bad I could barely breathe and I was like I want to do this again <laughs> so I guess I've been a little bit of a sucker for for the um, sort of the going deep like you do when you get in pain like that and yeah. sort of um, the challenge of the ultra mentally physically spiritually and um, Ever since that 50k, I just went. I went like full into it. I did a whole bunch that year, and then um, did my first hundred miler the next year, and uh, just continued. At that point, I started to realize I had a capacity to be competitive. And yeah. before it was like, it was like, I was so excited by I did 30 miles, you know, like oh I did 50 <laughs> miles. That was exciting. And then at some point, that wasn't really a challenge anymore. So it was about. Uh, improved my times and becoming more competitive. Um, and I think it was when I ran the Tahoe Rim Trail 100 in um, at Lake Tahoe, uh, I ran, I got second place and I did like a 22.50 there, which is 22 hours, 50 minutes, which is really fast. It was like in the top 10 ever women's times. And it surprised me because I just sort of hoped to get under 24 hours. But people told me, they said, well, yeah, good luck with that. It's, you know, it's altitude, it's 
hundred miles in the mountains. Like, who do you think you are? And so I sort of surprised myself. And I think ever since then, I've wanted to see where I could go competitively. Um, so when I've had the time to train properly, I've enjoyed doing things like FKTs and, you know, racing, especially hundreds, but there's not a lot of two hundreds here either, um, Mm. to, to run. So I'm actually going to go out to Australia next spring and run. There's a brand new point to point 200 miler out there. It's called the, um, delirious West 200. (laughs) And everybody should check it out because, uh, I'm super excited. I've never seen a kangaroo and, um, maybe at the zoo, but yeah, I'm just, I just can't wait to. And is that have worst that case of Australia? Um, kind of Northwest yeah. Territories or? Yeah, it's a West Coast and it's point to point. So that's what excites me. There's, there's certainly other 200s in the world um, that are like loop, loop around 20 loops, 10 loops. I'm like, not interested. You yeah. know, I want to see, I want to do a tour of an area and it, it'll be fun to do one that's sort of like mine, you know, that's like a point to point and get to see 200 miles worth of terrain so i'm pretty excited where get some that, of my own medicine because where does that go from because i've i mean western australia there's not a huge amount of of cities um and thinking about you know perth's the big one and then 200 miles from perth i can't think of anything really other than some mining towns is it um is it very much going through the you know the the bush as such yeah, I think a lot of it's on the coast, it looks like. Um, it's the West Western Endurance, because West stands for West Endurance something so, <laughs> trail. So it's actually <laughs> a trail that's there. But I think from the photos and stuff, it looks like a lot of coastal running, and we'll be running on the beach as well. Um but I have to be honest, I have not done a lot of research yet. <laughs> they, they just opened registration, so I signed up. Um, but I have a lot of research to still do to make sure I'm, like, prepared, properly prepared. Um, but I, I think it's going to be pretty remote. Um, not, I've never been to Australia, so it's, like, to me, it's just, like, big island. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge and, and actually even probably even compared to Washington, it, this is so sparsely populated outside of the southeast, um, which is just amazing when you're in the territory to, to see how far it's, it, it, you know, it goes for. And as you say, the wild kangaroos and all the uh, random animals that go out there. Um, and, and, and do you, you, you said you, you found you're really good at, um, at, at doing the longer races. Was that because of, do you think that's your pace? Do you think it's your training or do you think it's your ability to kind of endure pain? Uh, probably all, all the above. Um, I like the challenge, the mental challenge. And so a, a shorter race, like a five or a 10 K feels more like a pure physical push to mm. me. Whereas with a hundred miler, if, if you don't grab your headlamps at mile 50 or, you know, whatever strategies there are out there, you don't pack, right. You have bad gear. You don't, deal with your stomach problems correctly. Um, those, those kind of things like that's interesting to me when it becomes less about, um, pure s- speed and skill and more about that. Plus, did you manage all these different systems that you have to manage to make mm. it that far? Um, and I think I, it probably is just my personality, um, as well, just, 
to be able to really enjoy that kind of thing. Cause I know there's a lot of runners out there who'd be like, I wouldn't, who would never want to do more than a half marathon, let yeah. alone a hundred or 200 miler. Um, but I think it's a unique way to experience like a lot of trail in a short amount of time, relatively then, short. I guess the race director as well, you're probably naturally suited to being quite meticulous, which is obviously required when you're racing. Um, have you got any tips yeah. then that you've picked up yourself or you've seen from the races of your courses of how, you know, clever things people have done with kits or clever ways in which you can kind of pack light or, or pack efficiently? Yeah. Um, I always try to make sure thing, it depends on where you're running, but um, I try to make sure that like clothing's going to be able to be in a waterproof bag of some sort, if I'm going to carry it with, um, that's something I've learned over the years and, um, making sure that the things that you need the most are the most accessible within your pack, that you really understand the ins and outs of where you're putting things and how to access them. So you're not constantly having to pull that pack off and go through it and find everything. Um, I think that, that that's sort of the main thing I've, uh, Really, with the longer races, learn to use, like, the lakey poles are amazing. Mm. Um, they save your legs in the long term. So I've started using poles really a lot for, especially um, hundreds or two hundreds that have, like, more climbing. Mm. Um, I'll use those. Because basically, it's like it's like giving yourself a third more leg power, I feel like, over the course. I mean, that adds up a lot for a 100-miler. And for a 200, it's it's almost crazy not to use something like that. Um, so yeah, your, I think your I top think guys all wear poles and all use poles. What's that? Do your top guys all race with poles as well? I think so. I think most. I I can't think of a lot of people who don't. There's always yeah. a few that that don't. Um, some people just don't like them, and mm. and they may never use them. But I just I find that especially when your legs start to get sore on those downhills, you can just, you know, use them to take a little of that pressure off on the big, if you're going up and over rocks. Yeah. Um, but their poles are very common in 200s. Almost everybody uses them. And um, so. So you must have had some horror stories in, along your, your racing career and also in the races you've put on. I mean, if, can you take us through some dark moments or some things you've learned from others? Oh boy, horror stories. Let me think. Um, you, you'd be surprised. Nothing really comes to mind. Um, I've had some bad stomach problems. You know, it's like um, either squatting in the bushes. Can we talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> or like, or like, um, you just being so sick for miles on end uh, and wishing I could throw up. Yeah. I'm one of those runners. I have a hard time throwing up. So it's like, I'll suffer for like 20 miles wanting to throw up and then never do it. But this year I ran a 50 mile. It was my first race of the year and, um, I felt pretty good till the end. And then I, you know, I finished and I'm seeing my truck. I'm like, I do not feel well. And I ended up puking Three times in a row, I've never <laughs> puked. I have never puked. With is that in the seat you're sat on currently? What's that? Is that in the seat you're sat in currently? <laughs> no, I was. 
I, I felt so awful. I was lying down in the back of the <laughs> truck. Um, I'd slept back there the night before. And um, so I was lying back there because I had to still drive three hours to go home. I just felt so awful. You know, I was like, like gray in the face, just gray. And then I'm lying there and I'm like, oh, God, here it comes. And all I had was one of those really big waterproof Patagonia bags. <laughs> and so I puked right in it three times. And it's waterproof. So <laughs> I held that stuff. It was so awful. But I, uh, yeah, that was my first and so far my last, um, probably not my last <laughs> time puking with running. Um, but I, yeah, I don't have anything too horrible. I mean, I've done like some fast packing and gotten lost. And then I had somebody who was meant to meet me and I had to spend the night, you know, overnight, like out. The funny thing was, is he was trying to find me and like worried out of his mind. And I found like a forest service ranger, um, station and he took me to a hotel and I spent the night in the hotel. And this guy who's supposed to be picking me up was like frantically searching. You know, I was sending him messages, but he wasn't getting them. And I was seen in like a hot bath in a hotel in the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, mostly I've been pretty lucky, I think. Nothing too crazy. And, and so um, you've mentioned this race in Western Australia. What else have you got on your bucket list to do next? I'm going to, uh, I think in April um, is a plan. I'm going to run the Arizona Trail. And um, currently the men's record for that stands around, um, I think it's either 12 or 14 days. It's 800 miles. So, you know, you're going to have to do quite a few miles a day on that trail to beat the record. But I'm going to go for that in April when the weather will be just right for it. So there's going to be a lot of planning with that. Um, and then I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do the rest of the year. I haven't quite decided, but I'll probably do. There's a race in September. Um, it's not marked. It's 100 miles. It's like 107 miles. It's called the Plain 100. Yeah. And I was signed up for it this year, but it got canceled due to fires. So I'll probably do that. And that'll be between Tahoe, organizing Tahoe and Moab. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's an unmarked course, and it's like there's one aid station. So it's sort of like right up my alley of, like, <laughs> you know. Sort of a little crazy. Have to carry all your own stuff. Um, but I like to do races that are a little different like that. Those are yeah, fun I mean, for with me. Yeah, so with, with the 800 mile attempt, how do you coordinate with your uh, – do you have a support team who drop kid off for you or are you just carrying huge amounts with you? So I'm, I have two choices, and I have to make the decision pretty quick on what I'm going to do. The record is the supported record, so they had somebody support them through the whole thing. And that would be like having a support vehicle that would meet mm. you at certain points and maybe a pacer at certain levels. I always tend to do things like uh, self-supported or unsupported. So another option I could do, but it would be a bit more of a time drain, would be to have mail out um kits to different locations and then you would have to pick them up and refill your pack so that would make it a lot harder um oh, so, so you'd send them to like a shop that would have your parcel for you yeah oh interesting exactly yeah yeah so you can do that the whole in the u.s there's um well there's several long trails but like for the pct that's roughly 2,000 miles from canada to mexico on the west coast you could do that for that whole way and then um Appalachian Trail, you could do that on the East Coast as well. It goes from Canada um, all the way south. So, yeah, I, I, I think um, 
to beat the overall record on the Arizona trail, I'll probably have a support crew of like one or two people, something like that. But, um, I, I usually like to just keep it simple, keep just myself. So it'll be different for me if I have a support crew. I've never done that before. Yeah. And I so guess we'll you gotta see. be, you gotta be careful as well that you, you get the right postage on the parcels. Cause nothing worse than turning up and yeah. finding out it's been sent back or, <laughs> or not paid for. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's, there's going to be a lot of planning involved in that. And between Arizona and, and that attempt, those will probably be my two big things. And I, I, I ha- really want to do the Tahoe Rim Trail, which is 170 miles around Lake Tahoe. Um, that is way up on my list, but I just haven't fit it into my schedule yet as well. Um, I've actually attempted it three different times and failed. So it's, <laughs> i got to do it again. Oh, what went got to finish it. Well, the first year um, was probably just mentally I gave up around mile 106 yeah. and uh, should have just finished it. <laughs> and then um, the next two times uh, went for it unsupported. And um, I think it was the same sort of thing overall. It just wasn't physically or mentally prepared to do the whole thing. Um, so I need to go into it with the right mindset. And I think, I think I have that now. It's just a matter, I have this little injury in my knee right now. So it's like, I was actually thinking about doing it, um, right about now in the next few days, but there's no way I just, I have like this issue going on and I have to rest. <laughs> Damn it. And you, you said last time you didn't think you were kind of prepared mentally. Is, is that just that you thought you weren't physically prepared and that was limiting mental, or, or have you actually had a kind of change in your, your focus and, and why you think you can now achieve it? Yeah, I think I, I think I've had a change in my focus, um, like a big, big change on a deeper level, um, than I had before. And I think it's in part just lifestyle changes in my life. And I've been training really well for the past year. I've been working with, um, David Roach, who he coaches in the U S and he's just, he's an amazing runner um, his wife is a Stanford MD. And so between the two of them, um, they've really given me tools to be more prepared than ever and to rest when I need to. And the only reason I'm injured right now is because I didn't listen to him (laughs) 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 too much. And, um, I, yeah, so I think for me, I, I sort of, um, I came to a point in my life now where I'm just way more better balanced than I've ever been. Um, it's sort of a cool place to be. And I'm I'm um, ready to focus a little more on work and on racing and um, just excited about some of the challenges that have been on my list for years now and actually doing them. <laughs> well, f- fair play. Um, you know, I've, as I said, I've only ever run 56 miles, so the the idea of doing 800 straight off the bat is uh, seems insane to me. But um, we we've obviously mentioned the races um and for the for the listeners at home they can and i'm sure we will get some people actually come and race a couple of the hundred milers um the do badders do like their challenges if people want to follow you personally and to to try and track your your races and to track your performances what's the best way for them to to find you so the my races that i organize uh the main website they can go to is called uh destination trailrun.com 
And that has all the different stuff I organized from, you know, even if you don't want to do a 200, we've got 10 Ks, marathons, um, half marathons, 50 Ks. And I think they're all worth traveling to. There's, um, there's some races in May on Orcas Island and, uh, it's this beautiful Island in the San Juans and you get, you get like this 2000 foot climb up a mountain. It's just amazing terrain so it's like you don't necessarily have to come out and do a 200 to see some really (laughs) beautiful stuff and that's a whole weekend we rent the entire this entire camp so you can like stay in these it's these huge bunk lodging so like you know if the person next to you farts like you hear it but it's fun you know it's this fun like runner um centered uh festival and so you can find that all on destinationtrailrun.com. And we're on Twitter and Instagram and all this, Facebook. Um, and then my personal, uh, I'm mostly, I would say I do most of my stuff on Instagram at run Candace run. And then I have uh, a website where I, um, covers like my adventures and stuff. And that's wilddefined.com. Um, so yeah, any of those spots, you could probably find links to all, all the different stuff that I'm doing, which is a lot, <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> Well, good luck with the 170 mile. Like, good luck with the the 800 mile. Thanks. Um, good luck with organising the rest of the races. And um, you know, I'm, I'll be out at some point, but I've still got to tick off 100 mile, I think, before I get the courage to to go further. So, um, thank you so much for sharing your stories and your wisdom with us. And if there's anything we can do to help in the future, please let us know. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was fun. My pleasure. Thanks, Candice. See you later. Bye. Yeah. Bye. What do you think of that? Oh, that's really interesting. What I, what I like is the fact that we've normalised running hundred milers so much in the group that now she's talking <laughs> now now she's just talking about using hundred milers for training runs. Just push through and run a hundred milers a training run in order to do a two hundred. <laughs> and the fact that you know the three two hundreds. Because if you if you remember when we were talking to James Elson and he was saying that even for doing the four hundred milers, um, what do they call that? Is his um, is it the, Grand Slam is it or it is the Grand Slam? Yeah. Even to do the Grand Slam, he thinks that you have to go into the first hundred miler um, aware that you have to be taking it easy and with all the rest of them in mind, or else you won't be able to do it. Yeah. And so that's that's for hundred milers that are very spaced out. Hers, um, Candice's, are all in fairly short succession. So to do two hundred miles, I mean, I think it would honestly, if I did one of those, would take me six months to recover from. So, but, but okay, so you're talking about you have how how long was it? Was it like forty eight? It was, it was 80, hour, 80 hours or something, wasn't yeah. it? 80 hours you got to finish. Yeah, that's right, 80 hours, yeah. 80 hours for you to finish it, which is... <laughs> so long. So, An 80-hour race. So, but there is an, there's an element of sleeping as well on it, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know what? I don't know, I don't know whether I'm insane, but I was thinking, yeah, that's doable. I don't know. I don't know why I thought that. We having gone yeah. having having decided not to not to run hundred miles anymore and go all the way back down to running five k's. I'm now thinking two hundred miles. Yep, yeah, I reckon I'd do that. Well, I guess if if because the time is if because it also depends on the elevation. Because I imagine they're going to be pretty elevated. Lake Tahoe. Uh, well, it's lake. It's around the lake, isn't it? Yeah, but that's the elevation as well. What, so what, I. <laughs> Well, I, I find this really annoying, and I've just found this in America, is where mm. they go, 
they're talking about distances or things, and they go, I don't know about the European like the system. And like, n- n- neither do I. We still use feet and miles in the same way. <laughs> yeah, but even the even the translation of miles to kilometers or feet to meters. I mean, especially feet to meters. Divide by three. Come on, you can surely. <laughs> you've got this, mate. It's not like we're talking hectares. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. See, you know, I think you could do fifty miles, have a little nap, have a nice time. Fifty miles, have a nap. The have thing a nice is, time. the thing is, I mean, you'd never, you'd never sleep on a hundred miler. Do people no. sleep on? No, you'd never sleep on a hundred miler. So it's almost by going up to two hundred miles, you take the pressure off because everyone is going to have a little nap. Mm. Mm. and the thing that she was saying that was so true and is really true about because you feel like this when doing a hundred miler is that planning to sleep is a really bad idea because you don't know how you're going to feel at at certain places and the last thing you want to do is being sat there for an hour when you (laughs) you know you could have been walking or running or moving or eating or or something else and so what becomes difficult then is that you then have to carry stuff to sleep with and so I, it's really difficult not knowing what I've been to Lake Tahoe before but I don't know what it's like I can't really remember it was quite a long time ago mm. but I, I wouldn't know what it was what it would be like to sleep out and the problem with America is just filled with animals yeah bugs and bugs and like uh, and I mean the, things. the fact the fact that they have hunters going on there uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think if I was doing something like that I'd probably as you're saying, not plan to sleep, but have um, plan to sleep in the day rather than the night. So yes. then at least, you know, it's going to be warm and there's nothing nicer than like a little bit of sunshine, like have a little nap. Uh, whereas at night, you then need a sleeping bag potentially. And that's true. It does change things. Whereas I find actually running the night, you're almost wired. You've got this weird energy about you that you don't get in the day. Oh, I don't know. You want to get... You want to do a Thames Path 100 and get to Reading at night. You're not wired, Dan. You? <laughs> you, you, you want to crawl under a, under a paving slab and wish you, you weren't in Reading. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 I bet as well the finishers have a huge... There's probably some people that finish very quickly and I imagine there isn't really much of a middle field because you've probably got very few people who are actually going hard to get their the best possible time for it and everyone else is just making sure they finish you're going to have a weird graph aren't you a weird graph of people of all the finishers so the the thing about that that, i mean that's the impressive thing you know a 70 percent finish rate Mm. on a 200 miler that shows that either the the cutoffs are very very generous and so it's very very doable and so there's a lot of pressure off and it's normally you know fear of cutoffs and stuff like that and and difficulty meeting cutoffs that do that um that is the issue uh, and also that you've got a lot of people who know who, who kind of know what they're doing as well you're not yeah I mean, not many I mean it's weird because I imagine you do get people winging a hundred miler now because it's just yeah. it's part of the parlance isn't it of like so yeah. many people so they're, they're winging 100 miles but with the 200 miler you're like mm, that's a harder thing to wing simply because it's not a, it's not a 24-hour thing yeah or it's not even a 30-hour thing <laughs> it's a four day thing and so you don't go oh, I'm going to rock up in some plimpsoles and then some uh, some starburst and see how it goes yeah it'd be interesting to see where people drop out like what mileage if it's if you get past 150 everyone finishes or if it's spread throughout 
uh, kind of the reasons behind if it's injuries. But um, so, do you think? I mean, you're obviously training for 5k at the moment but maybe <laughs> i wonder i wonder how we can somehow tie this back to running 5k's in a way <laughs> <laughs> but do you think you could potentially right when you once you've got your speed you know you've had a bit of fun doing that and you feel that you are actually happy to try something longer again do you think that would appeal to you more than 100 miler uh possibly it's the, it, the there's an element of a lack of pressure on it but Especially, mm. you, you were asking the question about the poles, and and I certainly think about in relation to that, getting as getting as fit as you can and as as slim as you can, not carrying weight over mm. two hundred miles. The time saving you'll be able to achieve, yeah, is going to be pretty you know, impressive. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to attempt a, a two hundred miler unless I'm really down to the lowest possible weight I could be without it without it impacting. You know, you you, you don't want too much fat stores to be taken off um but uh the whole the whole idea of actually being able to work out you know what what you need to what you need to eat on that race and the thing is it's absolutely true that with having like you know proper proper food on those things it's like the longer you go the more you need proper food apart from the elite races who seem to have adapted themselves to be able to to smash it out on on gels and, and everything else, and they, they've obviously trained for a long time in order to be able to do that. But yeah, the longer because she said she was saying she was surprised people eating chili and stuff. I'm like, you know what? I can smash back some chili at, at 50 miles yeah. if I if I need to. That's not that's not a problem. I think once you get past like 70, 80 miles, the food that you could eat is the same as the food that you want to eat when you're drunk. I, I honestly, it it's really interesting because we're talking about that drunk and that guy that that I love the idea of getting hammered on a two hundred miler and waking up the next day and not remembering having done a two hundred miler. Yeah. That would just be yeah. insane, wouldn't it? Because you'd because you'd wake up like five days later as well. <laughs> not as if you're like oh, already last night. You're like <laughs> with a bottle of Jose Cuervo and, uh, and a race medal. You're like what? What? what have I been doing? Why are my legs hurt so much? Yeah. Why am I, two, why am I exactly 200 miles away from where I started? <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder if, because you do, like with, with races, with distances, they always find like a, a number, a nice round number that becomes what to aim for. So, for example, the marathon, sub three is a nice one. Yeah. 100 miles, sub 24 is a nice one. Yeah. But for 200 miles, I wonder if there actually is a nice round number for it because, you know, sub 48 seems probably a bit too aggressive. Yeah. And But then after that, what would it be? Sub 60 or is it sub 50? Like it, it, or whether there even is a equivalent of when you see someone who's done a 200 mile. Yeah, what do you say? Do you, oh, yeah, did you, you go sub 60? Maybe it's too small a field um, of people who've actually raced them ever so that there aren't enough people that would naturally have a conversation of, oh, you've done that as well, so <laughs> did you blah, 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 blah. That, that would be really annoying, wouldn't it? I mean, that's the thing. It used to be the case of, like, you having just done – when it was the case of you having done a marathon, people were like, oh, well, well done, you've done a marathon. Then it used to be yeah. 100 miles. Oh, you've done 100 – oh, you've done marathon to sub. Done marathon to sub. Oh, that's great. Oh, you've done 100 miles. Now you go, I've done 100 miles. Like, oh, right. I know, yeah. Well, how'd you do it? And you go, oh, I did it like 25 hours or something. Like, oh, yeah, my <laughs> mate did it in 18 hours. You're like, shit. And so imagine, yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. that. If you've done that, you go, oh, 
I've done 200, you know, where have you been? Oh yeah, I've just done a race, 200 miles. Oh really, how quickly do you do it? Oh yeah, I did it in like 62 hours. Oh yeah, I got my mate, he did it at a sub 60. Like, oh! <laughs> it'd be even worse if you're like, oh, did you go sub 60? No. Oh. <laughs> no. No. Oh. Okay, why am, I, why am I talking to you? Why am I bothering? What I, liked, what I liked about that was that when you were talking about that, um, as uh, Candice was explaining uh, and you were saying, whoa, that must have been pretty dangerous, I've been wobbling around, hammered and stuff, it, I think it was going through a mind of, how much further should we pursue that this guy shouldn't have been on that course, <laughs> staggering around drunk? <laughs> we need to get that guy on the show, actually. He's an utter hero, utter hero. <laughs> just do badders. Next time in the States, just... Talk to people who are lying in gutters because there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance they won a 200 mile. They just won a 200 mile. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. See, well, the other, the other thing, the other thing that I particularly like about that was that 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 is not a race thing. What's worse is marketing something as a 200 mile race, and it's actually 238 miles. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that has to be. The longest distance over a distance for any race ever, surely. I mean, however, how many other races, basically, how many races are out by the distance that is more than 99% of runners have ever run in one day? <laughs> and also, it's how does that unfold? Like, it's, do pe- are people aware of that or are people coming in at 199 miles and starting to like start to do the, the victory lap yeah here we go guys yeah. here we go like why is he why is he celebrating he's got another 50 miles to go <laughs> not even in the right state yet <laughs> yeah i love I mean... it i love it there's just you'd be running that you're going oh yeah we do, we're doing so well mate. you're doing so well we've only got only got a couple of miles left we go you don't know yeah this is this is the this is the in joke isn't it it's 200 but it's in inverted commas, 200 miles. Yeah, I mean, even even a percentage, 19% is quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, if 90% of a marathon, you'd be annoyed if you were, um, well, it would be four, four and a bit miles. If you were that much out, you'd be annoyed on a marathon. You'd be furious. If it was over 30 miles on a marathon, imagine how angry you'd be. You'd be, doing a 50, you'd be, you'd be pushing a 50K then, wouldn't you? That'd be, that'd be quite yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, but we're not going to dwell too much on uh, on these on, on these tra- on trace descriptions. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, well, I mean, it sounds like you're tempted potentially. <laughs> I don't be... know why it is. It's weird. I stopped doing big long races, and then all of a sudden, all the all the ones that come up, I'm like thinking, yeah, yeah, <laughs> two hundred miles. Two hundred miles sounds all right. Yeah, and and actually now you've because. I'm, I'm a bit scared, you know, I've not done 100, I'm, I'm a bit scared of that, but from what you said, actually, it does make sense, I think it it does sound less intimidating, because I think, especially, the fact that no one I know has done a 200, you don't have that pressure of, what was your time, because people have no idea what a good time is, Yeah. And, and it's not as if you can double the 100 miler and add, what do you add, add an hour, add 10 hours, add a day, no one's got a clue, so you could do that race, and just do it as this is a really nice way to go around the lake. I'm going to nap for seven hours a night and, uh, you know, just, just jog it in. I mean, the thing is, it's insane that even people compare like 100 milers with, I mean, like, like Western states compared with, say, 10th yeah. path. I mean, it's 200 yeah. miles. It, it is insane that people are comparing times for, for those distances over, yeah. over the area. But so even doing it for a 200 mile, 
but yeah, the just the the limit of what what people want to do and what's possible and uh, yeah, yeah. But like even like say like with the with the polls, the polls must make yeah such a difference over over yeah. a massive amount of different. The interesting thing though she mentioned was um, about uh, having an app on your phone. I'm like, hmm, unless you've got an iPhone, <laughs> an iPhone's not going to last 200 miles. <laughs> it, it, it won't even make it past the first marathon. <laughs> yeah, you're having to stop to charge each time. Well, um, whew, it's been quite a long episode, but hopefully quite an enjoyable one. Well, it's reflecting the distances of the races. Absolutely, absolutely. But if, you, if you've enjoyed listening to that, listeners, we've um, we've actually had quite a few good ultra episodes recently, um, and we're mixing Jake, it up a little bit as well. With some, we're not just focusing. It must feel like we're a little bit ultra heavy at the moment. Mm. But um, we're going to be mixing up with some really interesting ones as well coming up. So so listen out for those. Yeah, but if, if you do like the ultra chats, um, we've had Robbie Britton, who's in the British twenty um, four hour team, James Elson, who organises the 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 main the best um, hundred milers in the UK. That's a really interesting episode. He's he's a very good athlete himself, but also puts the races on. So it's 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 just good to get um it's, it, it's perspective on that from someone who's you know doing it UK style. Um, yeah. Anyone else you'd recommend that you've enjoyed? So Camille, 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 one's excellent. Uh, I always I always think our Dean Canazes episode mm. that's a that's one that people go to because we get him talking about some things that he doesn't normally talk about as well and you know mm. and if you're talking about races where it's renowned for having like a low finish rate uh, something like the spartathlon is what 30 30 yeah. finish rate you know that is that's one of the hardest races in the world and so uh, worth listening to his perspective on that mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and um but if you if you like this episode please subscribe please tell your friends and if you could leave us a a five-star review on iTunes. That would be amazing. Do read through them. They do. T- they do tend to be quite comical. I think iTunes lets you choose your your name, so you can uh, leave a a five-star review from whoever it is you may like. Um, do listen to the A to Z of Bad Boy Running if you haven't already, because I don't think we've said too many things that were weird on this episode. No, no, I don't. I was, was going to say that. I was going to try and do a like, mention, but I don't think we've actually used many in jokes here at all. Um, yeah, and if you want to uh, head over and join the Facebook group, uh, if you go to simply search "Bad Boy Running Podcast" on Facebook, you'll be asked three questions. And oh, I didn't tell you, did I? That we've had the best answer to a question <laughs> so far. Better than gentleman, the German reggae artist. Yeah, I, Lorna messaged me to say I've just let someone in, and you want to have a look at their, their answers. <laughs> Is there a way you can retrospectively look back at what people had answered? Or did you screen grab it? I'm not sure, actually. We screen grabbed it. There's this. Okay. So you asked three questions. It's basically just to make sure that you, one, if you've listened to, if you haven't listened to the podcast and you come to the group, I do not know what, if you think what's going on. Although a lot of people have thinking it was just a Facebook group and not realizing there was a podcast. Mm. Um, so so there is a podcast and you're listening to it. So go to the Facebook group and join. Um, And the, just to make sure people don't spam and also make sure that you understand that Pato Banton is the greatest 90s record. <laughs> okay, so this is the question you asked first. This group is for listeners to the Bad Boy Running Podcast and is not a generic running group. Have you listened to the podcast? And this is the answer from, uh, from Michael. I have and hated it at first, but kept coming back. I can't quite explain why, but it's like olives. And even though you know you hate the taste, <laughs> you still keep trying them. And then one day you think, these aren't too bad. So here I am feeling grubby. 
and you know, and olives are good for you as well. The thing is, that's the, so the true. secret of a long life. It's so true. All of that is true. <laughs> so yeah, did we so let going, him in the group? We did. We did let him in the group. He, although he did say Maxi Priest was his favourite nineties reggae artist. I mean, fair play, fair play. <laughs> I can't right. argue too much with that. So yeah, so join, come come and join the Facebook group. Um, that may. I'd listen to the A to Z of Bad Boy Running first, actually, because that's going to make no sense to you. It's like literally going into a world of psychedelia and uh, <laughs> nonsense. It's just <laughs> none of it makes any sense. Um, so I, I'd try that first. But uh, but yeah, join us join us on Facebook as well. Yeah, and and if there are any guests who you'd like us to get on, any topics you'd like us to discuss, Candice was recommended as someone for the podcast, and so we reached out to her, got her on. So, if there anyone that takes your fancy, let yeah. us know. Anyone, um, that, anyone, we do we do a lot of long distances. We we have a big focus on ultras, um, hundred miles, OCR, things like that, because that tends to be our background. But if you know of anyone who uh, would make good guests maybe shorter distances who've got a bit of personality up for uh you know chatting to the do better community we'd love to hear about them as well yeah absolutely so um thanks for listening you can message us letters at badboyrunning.com if you want to get the beer it's uh beer52.com slash badboyrunning and we will speak to you next week see you later cheers jenny bye 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 bye